Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcast it live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. You live in you talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone. Live, it's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to episode Three of the newly rebranded Dan Scott Show podcast, formerly known as Grumpy Old Broadcasters. When we have the guys on, we're still going to be grumpy, but uh, just rebranded it so we would have some consistency between some of the the things that we are doing when we cross-promote, and uh, hope that uh, regardless of how we're doing it, you'll continue to enjoy what we put out there. On today's episode, we are going to hear from uh, a couple of guys with very unique perspectives on life. Uh, one is the uh, the ever-opinionated Hall of Fame broadcaster, the guy who made me want to get into this business all those years ago, former Reds broadcaster, Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman. We will hear from him in the first part of the podcast today. And then in the second half of the podcast, another guy who is just a, a, a giant in the field of covering college football has done it for so many years at such a high level, for 20 years at ESPN and now at on3.com, Ivan Mizell. But we're not going to be talking college football with Ivan. We're going to be talking about his brand new book, I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye. That's the title of it. It comes out on the 26th of October, and it's a book sharing the loss and the grief and the love for his son, Max, who committed suicide six and a half years ago. It's an interview you are not going to want to miss. And then at the end of the podcast episode, we will have another moment of devotion. And again today, it will come from David Jeremiah's Strength for Today devotional book. I need to tell you up front that the podcast is presented by our friends at Todaro Pizza. They are located in Greenville, South Carolina on Markley Street, just down the block from Fleur Field at the West End where the Boston Red Sox high Class A affiliate, the Greenville Drive, play. If you're coming into this area and you have never been to Todaro Pizza, it is bucket list pizza. It is that good. And people who know me and have known me for the 20-plus years I've been doing this, I don't tell you to go eat at a restaurant if I don't like the food. I love Todaro Pizza. The buffet is back on Sunday through Friday at lunchtime. All you can eat for just 8 bucks, $9.50 with a drink, and that is a discount off the drink price. And their dollar slice night is back Wednesdays beginning at 6 p.m., a huge slice of that New York-style 
Todaro Pizza for just a buck. You can find out more on Facebook. Todaro Pizza Greenville is the uh, the address there. Same thing on Twitter. TodaroPizza.com is the website for their Clemson location, which is now open for in-room dining as well. Thank them for continuing to be the presenting sponsor of the Dan Scott Show podcast. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, Marty Brenneman will be up first, and we will hear from the Hall of Fame broadcaster, and you are going to love one of the stories he tells at the end of this thing. Dan Scott Show podcast, episode three of the rebrand. will continue right after this. Treat yourself to one of the fastest growing, most entertaining activities in the upstate with a visit to Craft Axe Throwing. From casual axe throwing to the World Axe Throwing League, Craft has it all right here in Greenville. Get in-house safety instruction, then claim a lane and start throwing today. League nights available for those who love to compete. Craft Axe Throwing, 1320 Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Call 864-301-6032 or visit craftaxethrowing.com. Sometimes cleaning up the neighborhood begins at home. When it does, call on Shane's Powerhouse Washing. Shane's is a family-owned business which prides itself on being on time and doing the job right the first time. Residential or commercial, home, business, driveway, parking lot, decks, fences, even dumpster pads. If it needs cleaning, Shane's Powerhouse Washing will get it done. Also, ask about the handyman services available. Call today, 864-760-9184 or check out the website, www.shanespowerhousewashing.com. Is your roof leaking or damaged? Do your gutters need repaired? You can Google roofing companies until your computer overheats, or you can simply call the best, Bracken Roofing and Gutter. Whether it's roof replacement, new and remodel installation, roofing insurance claims, whatever your needs, Bracken Roofing and Gutter will simply do it right the first time. And the same goes for gutter screen installations. Forget about balancing on ladders and cleaning your gutters. Let Bracken Roofing and Gutters screen them for you today. Listen, do not settle for subpar work. Get a free inspection today. Check out the reviews on Facebook. You'll see many satisfied customers, and they're all saying the same thing, that they're happy that they chose Bracken Roofing and Gutter. That's Bracken Roofing and Gutter. Call Kyle today at 864-704-5993. Every sports fan's goal should be make it to the Hall of Fame. Well, we have you covered with Hall of Fame Sports Grill at 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. Known for their great food and fantastic daily specials, Hall of Fame has you covered with all the game action on their 30 televisions. Plus weekly events like Tuesday night's bar trivia for dummies, Wednesday night's music bingo, Thursday night's dirty bingo, and karaoke with Fred Rock every Friday. That's 531 Wade Hampton Boulevard, Hall of Fame Sports Grill.com. It's episode three of the newly rebranded Dan Scott Show podcast, formerly Grumpy Old Broadcasters. And by the way, all of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters episode, all 39 of them or whatever it was, are still there when you go find the new podcast, wherever podcasts are available. That's where you'll find the Dan Scott Show podcast. And what we want you to do, and it's very important that you like it, you share it, you comment. We want to interact with you. You can do it on the platforms in which you get it, or you can send me an email, thedanscottshow at gmail.com. But we would love 
to hear from you, love to interact with you. Well, one of the guys who I have looked up to in this business for a long, long time, and I am fortunate now to be able to call him a friend, is the Hall of Fame broadcaster, Marty Brenneman. He went into the broadcaster's wing of the National Baseball Hall of Fame back in 2000. He was just inducted into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame a couple of months ago. We'll talk about why he feels that is a bigger honor than the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Plus, we'll talk about his style and how it created some conflict and a very, very interesting story at the end about a former Reds closer by the name of Francisco Cordero and some conversation, we'll call it, that Marty Brenneman had with him a number of years ago. All of that inside this conversation I recently had with Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman. And it's always a good time to talk with this guy no matter the time of year. Marty Brenneman is in the National Baseball Hall of Fame broadcaster's wing. He is now in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame for his 46 years behind the microphone there and is attacking retirement with as much or more gusto than he did his job for all those years behind the Reds microphone. Marty, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm good, Dan. How are you? I, I'm doing well. I, I guess it is common for retired men. I don't know this, but I know a bunch of them from church and other places. They seem to be busier in their retirement than they were when they actually worked. I follow you on, on social media. You're always somewhere, man. Well, I, I give credit to that, uh, to the, for that, to my wife, Amanda, who uh, won't let any grass grow under my feet. And we traveled a lot. Uh, I played more golf in the last year than I dreamed was humanly possible. I uh, love every minute of that. And uh, most important of all, I've got my health at 79 years old. I can go and do what I want to do when I want to do it. And as I've told people a million times, no one has embraced retirement more than I have. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I can remember a time, and, and you have to be a long-time listener of, of you doing what you did for all those years, when you used to make fun of people who played golf. And, and now it has become a passion of yours. How did that change come about? Well, I, it goes back to 1995. My kids at, at Christmas time gave me a gift certificate to buy golf clubs and take lessons because they felt I was moving into uh, an age area that made it important from my, from their perspective, from my help going forward to do something with some measure of activity involved. And uh, I used to play a lot when I was in school. When I went to Carolina and Chapel Hill, I played golf a lot and purposely got classes early so I could go out and play golf and then got away from it when I got into the business and, and had kids. And uh, once I was reintroduced to the game in 1995, I took it on with a passion. I just wish I was a better player than I am because I truly love it. I uh, This past weekend, of course, was the Ryder Cup and uh, in Whistling Straits in Wisconsin, and I uh, I probably saw 85% of of the Ryder Cup on NBC on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. So I'm I'm a, I'm a huge golf fan. Yeah, we had Brad Faxon on uh, yesterday to talk about the Ryder Cup, and that's one of those sports that – that brings in even the casual golf fan because it's not like your run-of-the-mill golf tournament where everything is quiet and prim and proper. It's a little more raucous. The fans get into it. There's a lot of emotion from the players. I, I can see where where that would be something that would be very attractive to people who are who are not, by and large, golf fans any other time of the year. 
Well, I'd agree with that. I, I, uh, we went to uh, Amanda and I went to the one that was played at uh, Valhalla in Louisville. I don't know when it was, twelve or thirteen years ago, and it was the first time I'd ever been to a Ryder Cup. And uh, you know, there's a sense of patriotism there that's uh, unseen at any other major sporting event. And I, you know, it, it happens every other year. Uh, it's it's a different brand of golf, but what the people in this country are used to, because it's solely, except for the uh, for a Sunday afternoon, it's it's uh, you know it's uh, four ball and best ball, and uh, which is very prevalent in Europe and elsewhere around the country. But I think uh, next to the NCAA basketball tournament, which I worked in extensively for a lot of years, uh, I don't think there's another sporting event on earth like the Ryder Cup. I got to tell you before we get into some some other stuff baseball wise, that I had Tim Brando on yesterday, and and as we were coming back from break, leading into that segment, I was teasing what was coming up today. Mentioned that you were going to be on the show today, and, and Brando, we couldn't get into talking college football because he was gushing about you. He said, "Make sure you tell Marty I said hello." and talked about how you had been such a great help and influence to him when you were doing ACC basketball and he was just coming into, uh, into the business at the national type of level. Um, you get people, you've influenced a whole lot of people in your time. I, I thought it was very interesting to hear Tim talk about you as long as he did yesterday. Well, Tim's an old friend and I think a very talented guy. I think he's proven that doing everything. And uh, we periodically talk, uh, not not a lot, but we stay in touch. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I that's the great thing, as you well know, about our business. It's more important, I think, that the people that we associate with and we cross paths with and we we maintain a connection with. When you're in the business a long time, people either moving up or coming down, whatever the case might be. Uh, I, I miss that. That's the only thing about my job that I miss. I don't. I don't miss doing play-by-play baseball. Uh, Forty-six years, God knows that's long enough. Um, I miss the people. Uh, but and I think that would be true in any walk of life, in a position, whether you were, you know, you whether you were the voice of a team or you were a lawyer or a doctor or a factory worker or whatever the case might be. If you were surrounded by people that you really had a great feel for then you're going to miss them more than you miss your job without any question. And you have chosen over the course of your long career to help people whenever you get the opportunity, young broadcasters, and I was one of them, and I told you this story a long time ago. You may not remember it, but the very first time that I got a press credential to anything other than a high school sporting event I was 20 years old it was 1987 a Reds Dodgers game and I got there and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing I was scared to death and you took about 10 minutes with me on the turf there at the batting cages and told me how to do you know this is the the when you can talk to people and and everything and then you said you know here's some people I'd talk to here's some that I wouldn't talk to if I were you some players let me sit in the booth and watch the game from up there Things you did not have to do that made such an impact on me, and I know I'm not the only one you've ever done that for. Where, where does that come from, and, and why do you choose even now to, to still do things like that? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, we all work up to a certain level. And I was one of those blessed that got to the major league level. And 
but I worked in a, in a small town uh, in Salisbury, North Carolina, uh, for five and a half years, a, a town of 30,000 people, the home of Catawba College, who, oh, by the way, um, I'm completing the circle because I'm about to close on a condominium in Salisbury. Uh, so I'm essentially going back to where I started. Um, and, and, and I was one of those guys. I was a young guy. I sat in the booth at the University of Tennessee to watch the volunteers play uh, at, the, at, the, at the invite of Chris Schenkel and Bud Wilkinson. And, and they allowed me to sit in the network booth and watch their telecast. Um, and, and even after I got to Cincinnati working in the World Series in 75, I was scared to death. And, and how wonderful Kurt Gowdy was to me. Uh, those make an impression. And uh, they're, they're, we're in a business that breeds egomaniacs. No kidding. And, and people that reach a certain level where they don't feel any sense of obligation to spend 15 minutes or 20 minutes with a young broadcaster who looks upon you in awe because you're where they want to be one day. And I don't. I haven't forgotten that. I think it's important that we give back in some measure to our business, uh, and and so I continually do it. I if if I am contacted by people uh, on the way up and, and wanting to talk to someone who's been there and done that, then I'm more than willing to give them all the time they need if I can in any way help them. And I think it's important that we do it that way. And I think there are far too many people in this business that don't do it. Yeah, because there's the old saying that I think is true that the, the people that you may ignore on the way up, you're going to come across again when you're falling back down. Yeah, there's another saying about the same topic. You know, they learn to say hello when it's time to say goodbye. Yes. And that's essentially it's the same thing, and, and, and it's unfortunate that people realize that. I mean, they're too late, to be honest with you. It's not, it's not tough to take some time and help somebody if they feel like anything you tell them will help them in some small measure. Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman with us. I'm Dan Scott sitting in for Rob Brown all this week while he's off on vacation. You've been in the broadcaster's wing in the National Baseball Hall of Fame since 2000. Uh, Just an incredible honor that was bestowed on you then while you were still working. You were just recently inducted into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame as the only member of, I guess technically it was a 2020 class, but the only member that was inducted just, uh, what, a month or so ago. And you said that that honor meant more to you than the National Hall of Fame honor. Explain why that was the case. Well, and that's not in any way to minimize the the importance of being in the broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame. I don't think there are but 40-some guys in there, maybe a little bit more than that. But... um, the people that showed up on any given induction weekend in, in, in Cooperstown, especially as it pertains to broadcasters and writers, maybe most of those people are people who, obviously they're baseball fans, they know who you are. Many of them have never listened to you do a ball game or read a piece that you wrote. And then you have those who made the trip, in my case from Cincinnati, Uh, that have listened to me. The people I spoke to on that rainy night at Great American Ballpark uh, a month ago this coming Friday are people that grew up with me, and I grew up with them as a broadcaster. And their acceptance or their non-acceptance, however the case may have been, thank God it was a former rather than the latter, 
could have very well dictated how long I remained as a broadcaster at the big league level. So they, they accepted me in, I think, the most provincial city in the world, Cincinnati, Ohio. And, and they, at some point, decided he's one of us. And so their loyalty spanned four and a half decades of turning that radio on and listening to Joe Nuxall and me for 31 years, and then after that, Jeff Brantley and me. And um, So that, that's why it's, it was more important. The fact that I'm the first broadcaster to go in, which I hope opens the doors for other people that uh, deserve to be there. And so that that's the biggest reason why I, uh, I, I, I had never had any idea. In fact, they had to change the bylaws in order to allow me to be a candidate and to go in because the bylaws were originally written as just uniform personnel and club executives. That's it. Now that's changed. And, and that's the way it ought to be. It should be changed. I mean, every other baseball Hall of Fame, to my knowledge, and I did some research on it, uh, allowed their broadcasters to be in. Uh, uh, even the Boston Red Sox brought in a gentleman who had worked as their, in their customer service department at a desk at one of the concourses at Fenway Park for 40-some years. And he's in there along with Ted Williams and Carl Yastrzemski and all the other former great Boston players. So it, it was really special to me, and it was special that so many players came back that had never been here before, um, as well as the Hall of Famers, and, and it was just a very, very special night for me and my family. You, you had, we'll say, some interesting relationships with players over the years. There was a lot of players. Interesting who, is a very kind word, Danny. <laughs> well, this is a family <laughs> show. Uh, a lot, there were a lot of players who, who did not like your candor. On the right. air, and I, I, I was watching a, uh, a video clip of a TV appearance that you did with Amanda in Cincinnati right before your induction, and I, I believe I'm, I've got this right. You referenced a text that you got from Ronnie Oster. Yes. Would, would you mind yeah. sharing? Would you mind sharing as much of that that is shareable with us? Well, I'll clean it up. Yes, at please. The end. <laughs> you know, Ron, Ron was a Ron was if they if they know anything of people listening know anything about baseball or the Reds. It, one of the most hard-nosed players who ever put on a uniform. He was a, he's a Cincinnati native, uh, went to high school here, was drafted by the Reds, became a, an everyday second baseman. I think he had a big league career that spanned 13 or 14 years. So Ronnie was a real deal. Ronnie, we never had words about my approach on the air, but I knew how Ron felt about my work. Um, he was very close to Joe Nuxall extremely close to Joe, and for the most part, over the years, he was certainly courteous enough with me, and and, and he, he, I think, for want of a better term, he tolerated me. But then, like so many other players, when he retired, then he started to look at the game from a different perspective and then gained a level of respect for me that maybe he didn't have when he was a player. And he, I would run into Ronnie uh, at charity golf events in the greater Cincinnati area, and we'd, we'd have a, a drink and, and, and talk about old times. And our, our, our friendship started to really mature at that point. So when I announced in January of, of uh, uh, two years ago that uh, I was going to retire 2019 after that season, I got a long text message from him, and I still have it on my phone today about – uh, you know, how, how, how much he thought of me, how much he thought of my work, 
uh, all the recognition that I had received, he thought was incredibly justified and 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 should have been that way. And uh, how he had looked at the game differently after he retired. And in the last paragraph, he said, but I got to tell you one thing. I'm surprised somebody didn't kick your butt in the 46 years you broadcast <laughs> Reds baseball. And I thought it was so funny. In fact, I've, I've, I've spoken at uh, charity events here in town, uh, and I knew Ronnie was in the audience, and I would bring it up, and I would single him out. I said, Ron, am I right? And he said, absolutely, 100%. I, that's exactly the way I wrote it word for word. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it – it really summed up a lot of things because I think there are a lot of players like that, Dan, uh, and, uh, that I've dealt with that didn't think a whole lot of me because of my criticisms on the air when things were not going well that really changed their perspective a little bit. Are you surprised that somebody didn't kick your butt? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know about that. <laughs> I had it, 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 All the years, I, I probably had four or five run-ins with players who took issue with something I might have said on the air last night. The thing that always bothered me about it was they always had to take me on in front of their teammates. It's like that, that schoolyard bully that, mm-hmm. that you know, I'm, I'm not going to take you on one-on-one, but I, I got my guys here. So I'm going to show them how tough I am by reading you the riot act. And without fail, every time it happened, it happened in front of other players. And every time it happened, I said, gentlemen, this conversation's over with. You want to talk to me, we take it into an office, or we take it somewhere where we can talk about it one-on-one. Francisco Cordero, who was a mountain of a man, who was a closer on this club, who probably was 6'4 and weighed 265 or 270, yelled at me one day in a crowded Wrigley Field clubhouse in Chicago with all the players there about how I didn't care whether the team won, that and he was sick of it out to me being critical, and I kept telling him to calm down, calm down, calm down. I finally said, look, we're not going to talk about it anymore, but you do your job, and I'll do mine. And right now I'm doing a better job than you are. And, 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 and every time that we ended the conversation, nobody ever picked it up again. It was done. And, and, but the thing you have to do and, and it, with my approach is you, if you say something tonight that you knew can spark, you know, can spark some controversy, you've got to walk down the middle of that clubhouse the next day. You cannot hide behind a microphone. If you're going to sit in the studio and be critical of a player or players or a team or teams and you, get, you don't have the guts to show up, then you don't have any self-integrity at all. You have to give them a chance to vent their spleen, and you have to do that by walking down the middle of the clubhouse every day. Visiting with uh, the best, the guy who influenced me to get into this business low those many years ago, Marty Brenham, the Hall of Fame broadcaster. 46 years he was behind the mic for the Cincinnati Reds. We're, we're kind of up against it here. I'm going to have to get you back on the podcast so we can do some more long-form stuff. Okay. But, but, sure. I, do, but I do want to have you tell a story before you go, and, and we could pick a lot of them, and uh, I'm going to pick a clean one. But in, in, in the days before cell phones, in the days before the Internet, I'm talking about the 1990 World Series, and you know where I'm going with this. You, you had to be, uh, let, let's say, a, an unusual messenger to try to find Tom Browning. Can you share that yeah. story with our listeners? Yeah, it was game two uh, at, at Riverfront Stadium. The Reds had won the first game when uh, Jose Rijo shut out Dave Stewart and 
Eric Davis hit the big first inning home run that set the tune for uh, set the stage uh, for what turned out to be a four game sweep, and it was a close game. Well, Browning was scheduled to pitch game three, and that would have been after the off day the next day. Then they resumed the series game three and four, and if necessary five, out in Oakland. And uh, Tom's wife Debbie was about to give birth. And Tom reported to the ballpark that day and, and went, got dressed and uh, the whole nine yards. And then as the game progressed, uh, it looked like the game had a chance of going extra innings. But by that time, Lou Pinella, the manager of the club, had given Tom the, right, the, the privilege of leaving the ballpark because Debbie had gone into labor. And so he had left in uniform uh, to go to the hospital in northern Kentucky. And... Uh, Lou realized that we might need Browning if this game goes to extra innings and goes for any length of time. So we're in the middle of the play-by-play. I think in the eighth inning, I think the game was tied at 1-1, and we get a call uh, that's from the clubhouse. Rick Stowe made the call, the Ritz uh, equipment guy, and he said Lou asked us to call, and our engineer, Dave Armbruster, took the call. Lou wants you to pull out a special plea over the radio to get Tom back to the ballpark. And I thought it was a joke. I thought somebody was trying to play, play a practical joke on us, and I found out quickly it was not the case. Uh, so we put the plea out. And Tom was sitting in the waiting room uh, and was watching the game on TV when one of the nurses came in and said, Mr. Browning, you're being paged on the radio to go back to the ballpark. Well, I, Tom, I thought Tom thought maybe it was a joke, and all of a sudden, as if on cue, Tim McCarver, who was doing the network telecast, came on the air and said, we understand that Marty Brenneman, the play-by-play voice of the Reds, has been asked to put out a plea for Tom Browning to come back to the ballpark. Well, Tom rushed out, uh, got a cab, was on his way to, to the ballpark when uh, Joe Oliver got the base hit off Dennis Eckersley and the tenth inning or the eleventh inning, whatever it was, to win the game. But that that was the most bizarre thing that I think I'd ever I was ever a part of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just I've heard you tell that story before, and I've actually seen it on uh, seen it on television with Tom telling it as well. Uh, just just an incredible story. Power of the press, man, can't get away from it. Yeah, even no even question. even no in the question. days prior to uh, the internet and cell phones. Hey, Marty, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Like I say, I want to get you back on the podcast to do a little more long form, but appreciate your time here today. My pleasure, Dan. Stay well, pal. All right, you too. That is Marty Brenneman, the Hall of Fame voice, former voice of the Cincinnati Reds. You know, I'm 54 years old now, and I've been in this business for 36 years. I started when I was 18 years old, and it's still blows my mind sometimes that a guy that I started listening to at the age of eight years old in his second year as the broadcaster for the Cincinnati Reds is now a guy that I call a friend, Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman. What a great, great interview that was, not because of me, but because of him. We need to step aside and take a break, and when we come back, we're going to shift gears completely, and we're going to visit a story with college football writer Ivan Mizell. And uh, as I will say when we start the interview, anytime that I see a story where somebody takes a personal tragedy and uses it as a way to help others, I am all over it. That interview with Ivan Mizell is coming up next when Episode 3 of the Dan Scott Show podcast continues in just a moment. 
Sometimes in life, you simply need to treat yourself to the best. And every time you lift a refreshing soda from Hank's Beverages to your lips, you're simply already a winner. It doesn't matter if it's a root beer, orange cream, vanilla cream, black cherry, or grape soda. There's a reason Hank's Beverages has been known as Philly's best for well more than a decade. Find Hank's online at hanksbeverages.net, or you can find their product here in the upstate at Ingalls Supermarkets, Lowe's Grocery Stores, and Harris Teeter. You might know that State Farm agent Ed Patterson has great service. He's your good neighbor, after all. But did you know State Farm has surprisingly great rates, too? Yep, that's right. Along with good neighbor service, State Farm agent Ed Patterson has surprisingly great rates for everyone in Greenville. So call State Farm agent Ed Patterson at 864-322-0031 for your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Individual premiums will vary by customer. All applicants subject to State Farm underwriting requirements. Dan Scott here for the Atlanta Bread Company. What do I like about Atlanta Bread? Well, too much to mention in a short commercial, but here are a few things. Bread baked daily, fresh on site. A tremendous selection of soup, sandwiches, and salads. Seasonal special additions to the menu. Delicious hot coffee and a bevy of other drink options. And yeah, can't forget about the baked sweet goodies. Dine in or carry out. And when you have the Atlanta Bread Company app, you can order and pay online. Then breeze past the lines to the pickup counter to get your food. Experience it for yourself. That's the Atlanta Bread Company, Cherrydale Point in Greenville. Let me tell you something, Cowboy. This rookie can really bring the heat. He's smoky and spicy with a Chipotle style all his own. It's a new Montgomery and Chipotle barbecue sauce. Make it a part of your home team. Available now at your neighborhood grocer or online at CincyFavorites.com. The power of choice is a game changer in any walk of life, and insurance coverage is no different. Dana McMahon and Goosehead Insurance give you that power. With over 80 insurance carriers to shop, Dana finds the best coverage at the best price. How successful is he? Goosehead's client loyalty score is more than double that of traditional agencies, and the local agency in Taylor's has a 97.8% customer satisfaction rating. Goosehead specializes in home and auto insurance, but offers all lines of personal coverage. And Goosehead's cutting-edge technology speeds up the quote process. Find out how much you can save on insurance today. Call Dana McMahon at Goosehead Insurance, 864-626-6745. That's 864-626-6745. Or visit www.goosehead.com. That's Dana McMahon and Goosehead Insurance. Hope you're enjoying this third episode of our rebranded Dan Scott Show podcast. I'm Dan, basically because nobody else wants to be. And again, just a reminder that we would love to hear from you. We'd love to interact with you. You can email me, thedanscottshow at gmail.com, or you can simply leave a comment on whatever platform you are getting the podcast from, Apple, um, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, is on uh, Google. It's it's everywhere you get a podcast. iHeart, wherever you're getting it, please leave a comment, like it, let us know you're out there, and then share it with your friends. We we try to to bring you things that hopefully you aren't getting anywhere else, and not just your run of the mill stuff, but the interviews like we just did with Marty Brenneman and like the one that we're bringing you 
in this segment. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Ivan Mizell has been just a giant in the world of college football coverage for more than two decades. His work at ESPN for about 20 years uh, stands uh, almost unmatched by anybody in the business, and his work on the ESPN 150 was lauded by so many. And, and yet that came to an end, and he is now the face of on3.com, a new college football site that was started by the folks who began Rivals. And he is the face of that uh, that format and is continuing to do just incredible work. But we're not talking college football with him. We're talking about a new book he has written in the wake of his son Max's suicide six and a half years ago. And uh, pay attention to this because it, it, it highlights the struggles with mental illness, but more than that, it takes a tragedy and it highlights using that to try and help other people. Here is my conversation with Ivan Mizell. Not going to waste any time. I want to get right to the guest line here. I've been waiting on this one uh, all morning long um, and, and all afternoon long, as it turns out. But Ivan Mizell has long been one of the titans of college football coverage in this country for two decades at ESPN, now at On3. But we're here to talk about maybe some college football in a bit, but something much more uh, important. He has written a new book that will be out on the 26th of October called I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye, a memoir of loss, grief, and love dedicated to his late son Max taking a personal tragedy and turning it into something good to help other people. Ivan Mizell is joining us here on the show. Ivan, welcome to the Rob Brown Show. I'm Dan Scott sitting in for him. How are you, sir? I'm well, Dan. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for uh, being willing to do this, A, on such short notice, and, and B, beyond that, um, just as I told you when, when I texted you to ask about doing this and, and setting up the interview, Anytime I see a story where somebody takes a personal tragedy and uses it to try to help other people, I think that's a story that has to be told. I wanted to get you on the air, and, and I really appreciate you doing this. And, and I guess the question that a lot of people are probably asking is not, not why you're doing it. I, I think, and we'll get into that, but how can you do it? How, how can you take something so personal and bare your soul to the nation? Well, you know, that's, that's actually a very good question. Uh, and it, there's, there's sort of a two-pronged answer, which I'll, I'll try to keep short. Uh, one is I, I was uh, – the last thing I wanted to do was try to remember who we were going to tell everything to and who we were not going to tell something to. I had enough to deal with. And, you know, it, that was sort of out of self-preservation. I said – Let's tell everybody what happened. Uh, if, if they attach a stigma to it, that's their issue. Uh, you know, mental illness is, uh, can be as lethal as cancer. And uh, I felt like that's what Max died of. You know, he ended his life six and a half years ago. Uh, so part of it was, I didn't want to have to worry. I didn't want to have to try to remember who knew what and who didn't. And, and the other part was sort of a, 
as I said with stigma, I really didn't care what people thought. Uh, that wasn't going to change anything, and I had much greater problems to deal with. And it's interesting because I have seen stories like this before, and and people kind of grow into a place where they are ready to share their grief publicly and and to to use what they're going through as a way to perhaps help other people. But you didn't really wait. I mean, you posted online parts of the eulogy you gave at his funeral. So you were doing this pretty much immediately, right? Yeah, no, I posted the whole, the whole eulogy, which was, uh, it was 22 minutes spoken. So it it went on for a while, (laughs) but, uh, and part of that was the people who were there began to, you know, ask me, can I get a copy of it? And people were talking, you know, uh, word began to sort of get out a little bit that you really need to share that. And I thought, okay, you know, and I I put it on Medium. And, and one of the things I said, Dan, uh, that alludes to what we're talking about was, you know, it, we don't really know what happened to Max. I mean, we don't know. I mean, we know what happened to Max, but we don't know exactly how those last moments went. Uh, and the, the police were at first reluctant to say that he ended his life. And who knows? He could have, he could have gone out there. He was on Lake Michigan on probably the coldest night of a really cold winter. Lake Michigan, Lake Ontario, excuse me. And I don't know what happened when he went out there. I mean, he might have changed his mind and fallen and hit his head. I mean, and, but my point is, what difference did it make? You know, it, at the end of the day, we didn't have it. And that was, you know, that was the blow. It wasn't really, you know, that was the biggest blow anyway. Visiting with Ivan Mizell, longtime college football writer who's done so many great things in that uh, that career, most notably at ESPN for two decades, now at On3. But we're talking about his new book, I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye, a memoir of lost grief and love. I know a part of this is to help celebrate who Max was. So it, it, briefly tell us, who was Max? Uh, Max, uh, our middle child between two, two daughters, uh, he was... Uh, he was interesting, uh, very different. I always uh, jokingly said he was proof that God had a sense of humor because I uh, couldn't have cared less about sports. And, you know, and I, I certainly envisioned, I think, as every dad does, that your son will be interested in what you're in, and he couldn't really have cared less. I mean, he had a little interest in, in, in the NBA, uh, but – uh, he, uh, he, you know, loved Pokemon. You know, he came up just as Pokemon was coming up. He loved anime. Uh, he was a photographer, which is sort of the basis of the of the title of the book. He was a photographer who hated to have his photos taken. And the last photo we have of our three children together was that his oldest his older sister's college graduation, and I have a picture of the three of them, which is the wallpaper on my phone, 
two girls are looking right at the camera, and Max is looking up and away. And I turn on my phone, and I look at that photo, and, and I keep trying to catch his eye. You know, but he, he wouldn't look at the camera. Ivan Mizell with us here. Uh, you, you say he, he didn't really care much about sports, but I did read he had enough of, a, of an indoctrina- indoctrination, excuse me, that uh, w- with, with you being friendly with people on, on both sides of the Alabama and Auburn rivalry, he, he had a hard time coming to grips with that, didn't he? <laughs> well, that yeah. So uh, I took him, Max wanted to go to Legoland, and at the time, the only Legoland was in Southern California. So uh, there was a COSIDA, the Sports Information Directors Association, met in San Diego one year. So I took him with me. Uh, and, you know, so we go in and Kirk Sampson, you know, I grew up in an Alabama family, uh, you know, grew up in Mobile. My parents went to Alabama. But, you know, the people at Auburn are my friends. And Kirk Sampson, the SID at Auburn, I've known forever. And Max and I ran into him. And I said, this is my friend Kirk Sampson from Auburn. And and Max is 12 years old. He looked at me and he said, but, Dad, you hate Auburn. (laughs) (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes, right? Yeah. The gray area was a little bit of a mystery to him, I guess. (laughs) What, What do you hope people get from this book? I think what I really hope, Dan, is that they have a better idea of how to deal with their own grief and how to deal with those around them who are grieving. And speaking as someone who is spectacularly clumsy, both as a griever and one who might have comforted the grieving, I I try to explain how I learned uh, to treat my grief as just my love for Max in a different form. And once I realized that the depth of my grief equaled the depth of my love for him, it made it a little more palatable. I mean, it was, it was certainly still painful, but I understood it a lot better. And you carry your grief with you everywhere you go. And I, if you've ever lost somebody, you understand that. And that made the burden easier to carry. Well, we're going to tell everybody uh, again uh, about uh, how to get the book when it comes out here in just a bit. Uh, before we let you go, I do want to ask you about your new venture because uh, you, you spent all of those marvelous years at, at ESPN, and I had somebody on our text line say you got to tell him how much we love the, the uh, ESPN 150 series that you spent so much time uh, and, la- and labor on. But – uh, tell me about the new venture. Tell me about On3. Since ESPN has ended and you moved on to this, tell me about this new venture and, and what people need to look for, how they can find what you're doing, and, and just everything that goes into that. Well, it's On3.com. Uh, the, the business guys who started Rivals and sold it to Yahoo and then started 24-7 Sports and sold it to CBS came to me and said, we want to do – we know how to do the Internet – this time we want to do a college football slash recruiting site with premium content, with very good writing. And so I threw in with them. I'm in front of the paywall. There's an incredible amount of recruiting 
information behind the paywall. We, we have a Clemson, Clemson team site. We have team sites around the country. Uh, those users funnel in on three, our content funnels to them. And this month, well, this month in October, we're going to have a, uh, a debut a recruiting database that'll be uh, more comprehensive by uh, a factor of 10 than anything anybody's ever seen. And it's going to be a lot of fun to tool around in. So that's on3.com, O-N and the number three dot com where you can find Ivan Mizell's work. So the, the book, I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye, comes out on October the 26th, correct? That's correct. It's published by Hachette. It is available for pre-order now wherever you, uh, wherever you order your books. And uh, I've, I've had a good number of pre-orders. I really appreciate when people do that. It means something to the publisher and and of course, means something to me. Well, again, uh, as we wrap it up, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being willing to do this, especially on short notice, especially with a pinch-hit host uh, on this show here in Greenville, South Carolina. But as I said, these are the stories that I think need to be told and highlighted because whenever somebody is willing to take a personal tragedy, bear their soul, and sh- and try to help other people who may be going through something similar – that story needs to be highlighted, and, and I just can't tell you how much I admire you uh, and your family for being willing to open up and share this moment. Well, you're very kind, Dan. I really appreciate uh, being on with you. And, uh, call me anytime. We'll do it. Thank you, Ivan. That's Ivan Mizell from On3.com, and again, the book is called I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye, a Memoir of Loss, Grief, and Love. Uh, It's about the suicide of his son, Max, and how he and his family are coping with that. The book is available for pre-order now. It comes out on shelves October the 26th. Uh, Again, I can't say how much I enjoyed that interview and how much I appreciate Ivan being willing to do it on short notice and bearing his soul. And again, his book, I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye, will be released on October the 26th. When we come back, we will wrap it up with a uh, a quick devotion from Dr. David Jeremiah again this week and uh, get set for whatever else may be coming down the pike towards our next episode. This is Episode 3 of the Dan Scott Show podcast, The Rebrand, and we'll be back to wrap it up right after this. Hey friends, Booty Cothran here, native of Greenville and eight-time competitor on NBC's American Ninja Warrior. And I want to tell you about Motive School of Movement, our new ninja and parkour gym right here in Greenville where we are teaching movement and functional fitness to people ages five and up and of every ability and skill level, and they're loving it. We've got families that work out together, kids that leave the gym sweating and tired who can't wait to come back. We've even got a 62-year-old member taking adult parkour classes. And if you've got a child who would enjoy a Ninja Warrior-themed birthday party, we're your place. Together with Brett and Grace Sims and Bob Reese, we've created Motive School of Movement in an incredible facility located just behind Haywood Mall on Webb Road. Stop by and see us in person or take a virtual tour at motivemovement.org. That's motivemovement.org. Or just search Motive School of Movement or call us at 864-775-4844. That's 864-775-4844. 
When it's time for a new mortgage or refinance, finding someone with a proven track record of both success and customer service can be an issue. Scott Fowler of Guaranteed Rate is the solution to both problems. Scott has helped thousands of clients achieve their home ownership dreams for over two decades and has been recognized as a top 1% originator in the U.S. by both Mortgage Executive Magazine and Scotsman Guide. And about that customer service, 96% of Scott's customers say they would use him again. Take advantage of the incredibly low finance rates while you can. Let Scott and his team guide you through the process start to finish. Call today, 864-915-8779. Again, that's 864-915-8779. Or find out much more online at www.rate.com slash Scott Fowler. Scott Fowler and Guaranteed Rate. Hey, this is Sturge. It's time to let you know that the website SturgisSports.com is back up and live. We have a lot of great articles, plus all your links to the college athletic programs in the upstate of South Carolina, all in one place. And make sure you like our Facebook page at Sturgis Sports as well, because that's where you'll catch the straight up with Sturge moments brought to you by Hank's Beverages. That's SturgisSports.com, S-T-U-R-G-I-S, Sports.com. Hey, everybody, Dan Scott here, and I've got a couple of updates for you. First of all, the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast has been rebranded to simply the Dan Scott Show podcast. All previous episodes are still there, and starting in early September, new weekly episodes are coming. And now you can find the Dan Scott Show channel on TuneIn Radio on the app or your computer. Current stuff plus 20 years of archived interviews available 24-7. That's the Dan Scott Show channel on TuneIn, and now the Dan Scott Show podcast, available everywhere, podcasts are found. Episode three of the rebranded Dan Scott Show podcast. Winding to a close. Hope you've enjoyed today's show, today's podcast with interviews with Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman, as well as Ivan Mizell from On3.com about his upcoming book, I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye. And again, that's uh, dealing with the suicide of his son, Max, some six and a half years ago. As I mentioned last week in the rebranding of this podcast, uh, I have moved it from just a straight sports category on the podcast site's into a combo of sports and uh, the religion spirituality category uh, because that was the only option, but trying to use it as a way to share my faith in Jesus Christ and and offer some encouragement. Uh, Many times this podcast will be just what we've done today, a lot of sports talk with a devotion at the end. Sometimes it may be more of me sharing my faith and my testimony and very little to no sports. But I, I just feel led inside this platform to take the opportunity each time we do something to share at least a little bit of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And uh, again this week, uh, the devotion that I want to give you comes from David Jeremiah's book, Strength for Today. And the key verse is Hebrews 12.1, which says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then Dr. Jeremiah wrote this, Regularly we see reports of a heroic finish by a competitor in a long-distance running event. Dehydrated, some have collapsed and completed their race by crawling across the finish line. Sometimes a fellow competitor gives up his or her own chance of winning by helping a faltering runner, or a parent or friend comes down from the stands to assist. And in marathons, a parent is often seen pushing a cart carrying a disabled child who wanted to compete. In all these cases, these competitors are not heroes because they won, but because they finished. And then Dr. Jeremiah wrote this, Finishing the race is the image of the Christian life as presented in the New Testament, with endurance and perseverance being the traits called for. We are not running anyone else's race. We are running, quote, the race that is set before us, unquote, as we just read in Hebrews 12.1. And Dr. Jeremiah said, Since every race is different and unique, to finish is to win the race God has set before us individually. Look at this day as one step in your race to glory, fueled by endurance and perseverance. Hope you got something out of that. I hope you got something out of our entire broadcast today. This has been Episode 3 of the Dan Scott Show podcast, presented by our friends at Todaro Pizza. We'll be back with you again next week with another set of interviews and some more thoughts on living the Christian life. Again, our thanks to Marty Brenneman, our thanks to Ivan Mizell, and mostly our thanks to you for continuing to support what we do. Again, like it, share it, interact with us, comment, let us know what you think. And until next time, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody.